It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. Right. And guess what? What? It worked. <laughs> yes. How about you that? You appeared at the same time that I did. Uh, oh, boy. It only took me five weeks so uh, <laughs> to get that to go. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the show. And uh, it's it's great to have you here. And here we are, first day of November. Uh, I'm not sure what you had around your house last night, but we did our uh, social distancing, um, uh, our, our social distancing Halloween, and uh-huh. uh, I think we had half a dozen people, uh-huh. come, including our mail carrier, who was our first, she was really late yesterday, it was like four thirty, five o'clock, and she said, and I caught her just as she was uh, walking away from the house, she said, um, mm-hmm. I, I took a treat, is that okay? <laughs> I said, of course, you can have it, definitely. <laughs> Um, so, uh, the good news is there's, um, there's some chocolate around the house here. So, uh, we got to give that a, oh, let's bring the dingers closer to, uh, the mic. There we go. So, uh, what about your uh, neck of the woods? Um, there were, it depended where you were. I saw kids in some areas of town, um, a couple on the block, but not a lot. Um, my social distancing Halloween included not going to the store and buying candy. Not so. go well. We did at the last <laughs> second, and well, uh, one of our listeners, Audrey, she says she was planting flower bulbs last night under the full blue moon until midnight. Oh, good for her! Good for her. Yeah, uh, I, I've been thinking about that. I should have had some bulbs ready to go, but uh, in all the madness, I have not. So, one more year, uh, without having anything new and special coming up in the spring, but um, that's okay. You know, I, I just want stuff to come up healthy in the spring. Hey, folks, we got a great show for you today. Uh, we're talking uh, about the industry a little bit. What has happened to the industry in the the pandemic year of 2020? Um, we think, but right now we don't know that we're going to have a visit from Tony Abruscato of Plant Truck and the Get Growing Foundation. Um, he was uh, supposed to have checked in this morning. He has not, and um, He's probably getting the truck set up for their their plant pop up today. Yeah, so I got a feeling he's going to be like uh, flying in. 
zoom, zooming in on a wing and a prayer uh, about 9.30. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. And if not, uh, Chris Bates, who is our first guest, and uh, he's uh, the guy that I'm going to bring up right there. How you doing this morning, Chris? Hey, Mike and Peggy. I'm doing great. Doing great. Um, and Chris, you might be going longer than you anticipated. If, well, if, I've, if seen, I've seen the plant truck. I don't know the full story of the plant truck, but I can claim to have seen it. And I suppose I could rattle on about my F-150 <laughs> out front if that would help. Anybody. No, no, no. Which no, has no. had a lot of plants in it. Of As you course can see you in my background, we move a lot of plants around. So I used to have a 1977 Toyota, um, oh, and I'd schlep mulch and <clears throat> compost. When you slept mm-hmm. mulch in it, I mean, in, you know, and this was in um, around the year 2000. All right. So it, it was uh, uh, an old truck. It was a 23-year-old truck at that time. And, and if you if you slept mulch in it, it was fine. If you slept compost, it was riding low in the water. Ooh. Okay. Uh, but the good thing about it was, and you folks know this, it had a carburetor, okay? And you open that hood, and there was nothing under that hood. There's <laughs> none of these devices that you yeah. have there. You know, now you now everything's jammed in, and just to fix something, you got to take out 18 parts and then put them all back in. This mm-hmm. guy, nothing. It was just it was scary how open it was yeah. under the hood. But I know what it's like to have your favorite truck. And you use it? You're showing your age, though, Mike, with the carburetor. Uh, Peggy's like, what? Uh, what's a carburetor? Oh, no. Uh, she knows. I bet you I've, fixed. I've I bet, had I, several cars with carburetors. I bet you tuned a few, Peggy, in your day as well. It used to be much easier to start a car with a carburetor in the wintertime than, than fuel injection. Let's and, just leave it that way. Yeah, and just, you know, and more it, from Car Talk in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, it says on your screen there. It says Grower Talks, and that's why you're here because you uh you work for you're an editor, the editor of Grower Talks. Oh, wait a second. This is where I hold up the magazine, the very famous Grower Talks magazine. And look at here's, that. You know what's scary about this? You can flip it, and it's still a magazine on the other side. So uh, it's Grower Talks and Green Profit is another organization. Acres Online. Uh, you got any more uh, than that? Uh, well, I, I run the, the publishing business for, a, for a, a little company in West Chicago called Ball Horticultural Company, which has been in the, the Western Burbs uh, since 1905. And the founder of the company started a magazine uh, called Grower Talks uh, in 1937 to tell his customers what to do with the seeds that they were buying from him. And uh, I've been editor of Grower Talks since, uh, when did I start there? 93. And, uh, and that magazine is all about how to grow plants for professional growers, mm-hmm. you know, at big greenhouses right. or a lot of garden centers have their own growing out back. We, we just tell them how to grow and sell these things. Green Profit, the other side of the magazine you showed there, is for garden centers, for retailers. How do you sell these things? How do you display them? What are the hot varieties that consumers are going to want? All those kinds of things. And uh, and we put the, the two magazines were separate until 2008. And we put them together because I, uh, I learned from talking to growers that growers always want to know what retailers are thinking, their customers. What are my customers thinking? And retailers always want to know, well, what are the growers doing? What are they putting in their greenhouses that I could be selling? So we decided to put the two magazines together back to back. So basically that magazine has the whole the whole industry in it every month. Uh, you mentioned Acres Online, which is a, an e-newsletter I've been doing since 2003, and that's a weekly, 48 times a year for 17 years. I think I've Yikes. been finding something to say, and I now have readers. You got lots 20, to say. 
22,000 readers in 66 countries, last I knew, who's, who, who depend on me to tell them what's going on in the, in the horticulture industry, you know, in the U.S. and around the world. How, all right. How many words a week do you think you write? Uh, 18 or 20. I don't know. Some of them with two or more syllables. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I was paid by hey, the word, but, um, paid by the word, I might be doing all right. Uh, who, who knows? You know, over, over the time, you just do it and get it out. And then, you know, it used to be you celebrated, you know, I met the deadline, the magazine's gone, this and that. Now you just know there's another one flying at you. You've got to just do it. So I, I, uh, I, I'm a pretty good typist now. I remember getting into journalism school in the, uh, the, uh, uh, the 1980, I think is when I went to journalism school at the University of Florida. You had to type 20 words a minute just to get into school. And I remember practicing really? on my mother-in-law's my IBM Selectric practicing typing oh my gosh now of course you know kids come out of the womb typing with their thumbs though which is really weird but there you go so that is odd and and i remember the ibm selectric was the thing that was cutting edge baby and Mm -hmm. peggy and i uh both started and you did too uh apparently and and all the uh, the youngsters here watching but i i have a feeling i don't have too many youngsters watching this uh are are thinking oh god they're talking about typewriters um carburetors and typewriters carburetors and typewriters like no history show Uh, so, uh, but, uh, the Selectric, uh, came after I had already been, I was in the news business in D- Detroit. I started out, uh, uh, writing news copy for an all news station and for, uh, a top 40 rock and roll station. Um, but they were all manual typewriters and you were just, and yeah. even now <laughs> Peg, that's how Peggy types on her keyboard there. Uh, so, seriously, seriously. That's I, I, what I do. a lot on. of laptops that way. I have, I know that, uh, that get ground into powder f- from people <laughs> like us who were, who, who started like this and you just hit every key like that. Um, and it's, a, and then when the selector came out, it was like, Ooh, I just barely touched it. And the thing types, but it had that really satisfying ka-chunk sound every time a letter popped well, that, up that and some carbon paper and you were set right? yeah good to go so <laughs> and, all- and the cool thing on the typewriters really quick was if you ran out of time to finish a paper i uh, you kind of just faked the ribbon running out you know sorry <laughs> i gotta handwrite the rest of it i never used <sighs> that trick that down i never <laughs> <laughs> okay that's all the time we have good night everybody uh <laughs> Now, we need to talk about uh, the biz because uh, that's why you're here. I don't often get anybody uh, on who has such a wide view of the business and of horticulture as you do. Um, And uh, we we talked back in April, and at the time, uh, you just wrote to me and said, you know, at the time, I I wasn't sure what was going to happen. So I didn't have a whole lot of information. That changed relatively quickly didn't it chris it was it was a uh, the craziest spring that uh, anybody in the horticulture industry has ever been in, involved with horticulture in general is a good business it's a hard business it's very seasonal as you know you plant for a few weeks in spring and then maybe you buy a, a mum for the holidays and a poinsettia at christmas and then you don't think about it meanwhile growers and retailers they're working year round to you know try to have a, a garden center full of plants and if it rains on a Saturday, especially if it's Mother's Day, boom, they may have lost 20% of their annual business. You know? So it's a tough business. So this spring, uh, say mid-March, when the, the, these, the lockdowns started to happen, that was right at the beginning of spring for, for much of the industry. Uh, down south, 
they had already started selling plants. It kind of kicks off. I used to be a Florida grower, kicks off around Valentine's Day down there. And uh, here in Chicagoland, you know, early April, if the weather's nice, you might go to the garden center and pick up some some early spring annuals, you know, pansies or something. So to have so to be told you've got to shut down your business uh, in mid-March uh, is devastating. And my readers were basically thinking, I'm going to have no spring. It was the worst time. You had a greenhouse full of perfect plants ready to go and others coming along and there's going to be no spring. And so they started calling my parent company, which sells seed and plants uh, to growers, uh, canceling orders. I'm not going to need it. We've been closed by the governor or what have you. Uh, So there was this frantic, you know, the anxiety that there was no spring. And then two weeks later, by, by about April 1st, most parts of the country had decided that garden centers, greenhouses, landscape, all the different aspects of the horticulture trade were essential for lots of various reasons, you know, and, uh, and that, was, that was really good news. Suddenly, we were essential. We could stay open. Sometimes it was with uh, social distancing or, or uh, sidewalk pickup or internet or whatever, but at least we can start selling our plants. And so, uh, so they were doing that. Now, down south where the, the, uh, the, 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 the states were not quite as strict at the time, um, garden centers were doing their traditional business, but man, they were, they were doing a good business. A really, really good business. And that started trickling north where people were, were, the garden centers were now open and the consumers were coming out in droves to buy their stuff. And we kind of figured out later on that it was because there's nothing else to do. You can't go to the movies. You can't go out to eat. You really kind of don't want to go out in public, but a garden center is usually outdoors. It's fresh air. Hey, it's something to do with the kids who are now, you know, working, you know, doing school from home. Dad's at home. Uh, he's got time on his hands, maybe. Um, and week by week, I was getting reports from my readers that it was getting better and better and better. And uh, so it was, a, it, 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 in all, it was a really good spring. And I can go into a few more details about how I know it was a, how I can even yeah, quantify well, how good it was. I know because you, you ask your uh, uh, folks, the, uh, the, the industry, you, you ask them to rate the weekends and then you sort of tally all these things up. Uh, and so you have, as you say, you have numbers to back it up. But what's kind of interesting here is how uh, in the course of a few months, the whole perception of what is um, a uh, necessary, uh, what's the what's the word for the industry? Uh, for Essential. Essential, sorry. Essential business. What's essential business? Well, it's not even that anymore. It's which businesses can we possibly keep open? We've switched now. We've gone from looking at the uh, horticulture as, well, maybe it's essential, maybe it's not. It's just people growing plants. Well, we, we, got, we got rid of that notion pretty quickly in uh, the equation. And now I would guess that most governments say, yeah, keep that industry open because people can be outdoors. It's, uh, they all want a garden. This, it's not a matter of whether it's essential. It's a matter of whether we can keep employing people at this time when restaurants are back to being shut down. So I would say that at, from this point forward, the uh, horticultural industry is going to be okay. Um, uh, but what it, given that framework, what has changed? I mean, is supp- in the supply and demand realm, uh, how have things been turned upside down or have they? <laughs> well, yeah, first off, demand was through the roof. And we had – now, there were some bad news early on at a few places. First off, Easter was pretty much non-existent because um, – 
the grocery stores that sell a lot of, say, the Easter lilies and things, they decided they weren't going to be selling uh, product uh, or plants because they needed to be selling toilet paper and hand sanitizer. So they kind of shut down their distribution centers and growers were stuck with millions and millions of Easter lilies that wound up going in the trash. Orchids, other potted spring, early spring plants got Yikes. dumped. And that was, that was, that was a shame. Uh, a few states, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania especially, was very late to open garden centers. They just deemed, nope, sorry, you're not essential. Uh, and so I think they opened up about uh, maybe April 25th or something like that. So they missed basically a month of sales. They managed to recover from that, uh, thankfully, but they could have even had a better spring. But uh, but beyond that, demand was so strong. As I said, people had nothing to do but go to garden centers um, that uh, growers were running out of plants. They were trying to find more. My company was running out of seeds and, and young plants to sell them. Uh, shortages everywhere. People were selling out at full price. They weren't You weren't finding discounts you know, mm. on June 15th at your garden center. Um, so it worked out really well. And that continued through the, the fall mum season. I just finished asking my readers about, well, how did your fall um, garden mum sales go? Tremendous. Sold out earlier than ever. Uh, we got really good prices. I know your, your readers want, or, or uh, uh, listeners and viewers want low prices, but yep. yeah, they were fair prices. <laughs> um, and we and now I'm thinking, well, what about poinsettias? Are people going to be staying home? They're going to be celebrating at home. Are they going to want a poinsettia to decorate their, their home? You know, and uh, so we're hoping that poinsettia season will be well, uh, will be good as, as well. Now, as far as things that were done, of course, Social distancing, the plexiglass. We should have all had stock in plexiglass, right? Um, yeah. You know, arrows and signage and masks and things like that and sanitizing the, the carts and, and, you know, things like that. Uh, my, my readers, my garden centers did as good a job as anybody did with that to make mm -hmm. sure you have a safe and comfortable experience when you're at a garden center. Um, uh, and, and I think, too, uh, and this came from a, a big company called Bonnie Plants in um, – Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was going uh, uh, to take us uh, to yeah. to that yeah. question, which is you're saying the the consumers were out there and they wanted it, and you think and Bonnie agrees that the the nature of uh, gardening changed in America in this past year. Well, Bonnie Plant is a massive supplier of uh, vegetable plants for garden centers. If you go into a, you know any garden center, especially the big boxes, that's where they really um, cover the. They cover, I believe, all fifty states, and they have about eighty greenhouses around you know the, uh, the country supplying tomato plants and peppers and you know lettuces and all those sorts of things. They uh, they um, calculated that they gained sixteen or so million new customers this spring. And so wow. other, uh, say, um, you know, ag economists who crunch the numbers and things, they think we may have 20 million new gardeners, folks who on a normal spring, they just, you know, had other things to do. And, but this spring they had nothing better to do. And they said, let's go to the garden center and, you know, plant that garden out back that we've been talking about. Uh, and they did. So we have a lot of new people discovering plants, house plants. I have a few behind me, as you can see, that has also <laughs> been really strong. I mean, that's, that's an area where there had already been shortages because of the house plant trend that's been going on, you know, with everybody wanting to, you know, put, uh, uh, you know, variegated monsteras in their, their urban loft and things like that. And so and, there'd already and been and I think there was, I don't know if you guys, yeah, I think I heard about it from you, the $5,000 house plant from Australia. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. Bought online. Yeah, tell us and, that story, and, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a lot of websites, you know, there's, there's uh, Pinterest and Instagram and places where there's, you know, house plant people are going crazy and Etsy and other places where you can buy, you know, buy and sell plants. And, and somebody comes up with, I've got one right here. Let me show you. Comes up with a plant like this. 
variegated monstera. Now, this this one would because it's so big would probably be about four hundred thousand dollars on. Uh, <laughs> if well, I told you what I, I, I think so. I, I didn't realize uh, you had one. That's awesome. That's a good looking plant. Get my camera fixed up here. <laughs> there we go. I'm getting seasick. Uh, but but yes, and that's that's sorry about that. Oh, that's oh, all right. There we go. Um, but uh, but 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 kind of you know rare plants for these collectors. It's like the the uh, the, the Dutch bulb you know craze of the 1600s mm-hmm. is what we're sort of seeing. But but a lot of tropical plants are slow to grow. They can't be produced in in large quantities quickly. Um, they can just be sort of like you have one and next year you have two and then maybe you have four and eight. You know, they're very, very slow to to uh, to re- reproduce, uh, especially some of these aeroid types, which is what monsteras and philodendrons uh, are. The big one behind me there, the big uh, split leaf f- philodendron back there, you know, the, the, which is just a, basically a Florida landscape plant, but looks beautiful in, here in Chicago land. Uh, those things are going to be in, in short supply next year or fairly tight supply. So, um, so it's all good. For, it, it's, I hate to say that a pandemic is good for anything, but you know, I always look for silver linings and people discovering gardening, whether it's vegetable gardening, which is a, you know, what a wonderful hobby yeah. to have. Some of my neighbors told me, um, that they had, uh, raised bed gardens kits in their garage for like the last three years. They never had time to put them together. This spring, they had time to finally put them together and put them out there and try vegetable gardening for the first time. I'm hoping kids who did it for like school projects get, you know, yeah. get bitten by the bug. Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's the upside of it and people could do it. And, and people un- began to understand it might be necessary to do this at a, at a certain point. Um, uh, the, early on, a lot of folks didn't want to go to grocery stores. Uh, of course you weren't getting tomatoes in April, uh, in your backyard, but yeah. you know, once we got them in July, uh, we still got fresh tomatoes here. Um, it's been a mild fall. Yes, Peggy. I, I was going to ask Chris, what is the industry doing to keep people engaged over the winter? All of these new gardeners who might not be familiar with, with winter gardening. Right. That's, that's the sort of the $64 question is we have all these new customers coming into our stores. What do we do to keep them? You know, how do we make them successful? And some of the experts I've talked to said, well, it kind of happened or should have happened when you made that first sale. Did they come in and have a great experience at the garden center and meet friendly people who are full of knowledge and this and that, or, or was it a bad experience? And, uh, and were they sold the right things? You know, I always tell people, if you want to get into vegetable gardening, um, while organic gardening is fabulous and heirlooms are wonderful, there, it's a little trickier. Uh, you know, if it's your first garden, start with a cherry tomato in a pot on your back patio. Yeah. You're going to have a million cherry yeah. tomatoes and you're going to think you're, you've got the greenest thumb in the world. And then you'll go back and try something else. And eventually you can get into the more tr- tricky thing. So I'm hoping that the garden centers did a good job um, taking care of customers early on. So they were successful. That's, you know, that's a, that's a key. Um, beyond that, um, I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it's just, once you try it, you find out, hey, this is kind of fun. I like this. Um, and and when the all the other distractions open back up, you know, the movie theaters and, and all those kinds of things, you won't be, they won't be saying, oh, finally, I can be done with this crazy gardening thing. I'm hoping they'll find out that it's a, it's a good thing. 
Uh, light beams coming right in. Yeah, I noticed. Boy, boy, talk about yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, isn't it awful to be in the sun? In uh, <laughs> it's a in horrible thing. Hey, I'm listen, in my, most of the Sundays we've had recently have been a gray, overcast, just nasty, and now we've got some sun uh, today, yeah. so that's a nice thing. Uh, we have just a few minutes, assuming Tony, Tony's going to be with us. Um, I just want to touch very briefly about what you called controlled environment agriculture. And uh, urban farming in its all its many forms, and and that includes yeah. indoor, vertical, hydroponic, aquaponic, uh, and and other stuff. You've written about that recently, and there are some massive facilities. You talk about a, a, a billion dollar facility that's going to go up in and Kentucky, is it? Kentucky. Yeah, uh, well, that, and that one in Montreal. That's supposed to grow tomatoes. A billion dollar <laughs> tomato farm. Um, and you kind of scratch your head and said, well, maybe that'll work, but, uh, we're not so sure. Well, it's a fun part of my job. Uh, I cover all, and not so much all areas of agriculture. I don't deal with row crops and, you know, corn and, and, you know, tomatoes out in the field in Florida and those kinds of things. I deal with greenhouses, but, uh, over the last uh, 10 years or so, there's been this, 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 um, this real push towards, towards changing agriculture, um, in bringing it more indoors, more computerized, more artificial intelligence, more data. Uh, and in fact, a lot of the investment being done in this technology is coming from Silicon Valley. They look at our industry as pretty old fashioned. They see a guy on a John Deere tractor and you know, think, hey, we need to bring computers and data to that. And we can basically program a computer to grow anything. So and, and we don't want it. We don't need a greenhouse for that. Let's do a warehouse and tables and lights and all these things where we have full control over it. And so there have been uh, some some pretty fascinating projects just here in Chicagoland was a, uh, a big warehouse. It was a former box factory. It was called Farmed Here, and it was an mm-hmm. indoor yeah. uh, lettuce and, yeah. and greens and herb factory that I that I, I wrote that. about. Yes. Uh, it it didn't quite make it, unfortunately, but they tried. Uh, there's a rooftop greenhouse in Chicago. That's another idea of what if we can, you know, it, the whole idea is bringing the um, the food production closer to the end consumer. You know, but you look at if it if it's grown in California and shipped to Chicago or shipped to, to, to Boston, how much you know carbon does that you know emit? So let's let's grow it right in Chicago or right in Boston. Um, of course, that's challenging because of you know lights and temperatures and all those kinds of things. And so we think if we could do it uh, in a greenhouse on a rooftop right downtown, or do it in a warehouse using lights, that's the, that's how to do it. There's a lot of problems with it though. Uh, lights are very expensive to run. So you have high power bills, then they, they cause a lot of heat. So you have to have big air conditioner units to, to cool and, 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 and dehumidify the air. Uh, they claim there's no bugs, uh, or diseases, uh, in these buildings. If anybody's ever owned a house plant and, and suddenly seen it come down with mealybugs or something like that, you know, that bugs, bugs, uh, will be found mm-hmm. anywhere. Oh, yeah. So, so, yeah. you know, so you have to control the, the pests on them. Um, this big one, you, you mentioned the billion dollar place. Uh, it is a giant greenhouse, 63 acres in Kentucky. It's one of two being built to grow tomatoes and maybe some other, maybe peppers or something like that, which is not new. I mean, that's been done for 50 years in the Netherlands and in Canada. There are some, some massive operations growing very efficient greenhouse tomatoes. You go to any grocery store now and you can, you can buy them. So they're, they're not new. Um, but it is a way to bring jobs to Appalachia, you know, mm-hmm. a former coal country or what have you. So that's good. But what, what you're seeing, if you read the newspaper, is all this hype about this is going to change the world. It's going to feed 2 billion more people that will be on the planet by, by 2050. And, uh, and, but, and yet all that's 
being grown in these vertical farms, the warehouse farms, uh, is, is, is lettuce or organic basil or maybe tomatoes and peppers. Um, huh. And the 2 billion people who are coming to the planet in the next, uh, by 2050, are going to want more than just lettuce and, and you know, yeah. salads. Yeah. So, uh, I, and I've been in one of those, uh, right. Whoop. Yeah. Okay. You, you broke up just a little bit there. I was going to say, I've been in one of those facilities, uh, in Indiana. Um, and I'm blanking on the name of the guy. Maybe he does a, the, the 60 second, uh, bits on WBBM. Um, and I worked with him at uh, W, uh, CPT yeah. and, and he's got an, a vertical farm there and I've been there and this was a number of years ago when they were just developing it. So I'm sure that the technology has improved tremendously since then. Yeah, it's, it's, it's coming. There's going to be lots of developments. LED lights have really um, helped it along because they, um, they operated a much lower energy consumption and lower temperature than high pressure sodium, which are the, or right. fluorescents, which are the typical lights used. Um, but they're still expensive. They still give off heat. Um, there's just a lot of cost uh, in inefficiencies with trying to grow vertically on racks, whereas a greenhouse uh, is extremely efficient. It's proven technology. You're using mm-hmm. energy from the sun, which is right. basically free. And so, so big greenhouses out in sort of uh, uh, peri-urban, that's like on the edge of yeah, urban. Like, In fact, we've like got one two vine? hours. Mighty Vine. I was going to say Mighty Vine is a perfect example of a very efficient operation. They grow uh, tomatoes, just so for yep. people who don't know Mighty Vine yep. tomatoes. Right. Uh, I, I, t- I tell you what, let me, let's take a quick break. I, I want to get this in. I still don't see Tony. <laughs> so, uh, Peggy. Uh, I'll ask Kayla to text him. Uh, why okay. don't you do it during the break? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, see if you can uh, track him down. And uh, we'll return probably at the moment with Chris Bates from uh, Grower Talks. And who knows what's going to happen here. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Please stick around. The folks at Blazing Star know that good soil biology means good soil. That's why they sell products from trusted industry leader Tinyo that contain more than 30 species of beneficial bacteria and fungi chosen for their critical roles in soil and plant health. In other words, whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, they help you grow the life in your soil so your soil can grow your plants. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. You can reduce your household garbage 30% by the simple act of composting. But I live in a condo or an apartment, you say. Well, if you're in the Chicago area, contact Collective Resource Compost. They give you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote if you're working with your community. You fill it with food scraps, they swap it out on a regular schedule, and voila! You're returning organic matter back to the soil instead of creating harmful methane in a landfill. Go to collectiveresource.us. They make composting easy. There's a new urgency for people to grow their own food. And thanks to Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, your seedlings will be healthier with a better germination rate and faster growth. You'll get lower operating costs and higher yields. That's because the wavelengths are tuned to your plant's needs. They have a 50,000-plus-hour minimum lifespan, and they're made in America. Go to MikeNovak.net for the code to save 5% on your purchase, and go to HappyLeafLED.com to get more information. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. Slug by slug, weed by weed, boy this garden's got me teed. All the insects come to feed, 
in my tomato plants. Sunburned face, skinned up knees. I hate this next line. The kitchen's choked with zucchinis. Shopping at the A&P's. Next time I get the chance. Everybody. Uh, yeah, got it. Sing it. I, I always play the verse about the slugs and, uh, and yes. the pests because that's uh, <laughs> what that's what we all experience. And it's interesting because we and we'll get to you in just a second, Peggy. Uh, you saw the uh, the spot for a happy leaf LED, which we love. Peggy and I both have happy leaf LED grow lights. They're just fantastic. But that's a really different scale from what we're talking about with those those big guys. And we'll get back to that in, in just a second. However, Peggy wants to tell you about something. Ah, okay. So we're we're walking like an agrarian again today. Yes, and we if are. You want, yes, and if you also want to walk like an agrarian, you need to think like one. The second session of Forefront Ideas in Food and Farming is coming up on Sunday, November fifteenth at one p.m. Brought to you by the Center for Agrarian Learning at McHenry County College. It's a free online speaker series featuring innovative thinkers and doers. On November fifteenth, Whole Grain Supply Chain. Features a food system dietitian, a farmer, and a baker discussing the benefits and challenges they face using artisan grains in their businesses. And before that, on Thursday, November 12th at 6 p.m., you can take part in a screening and discussion about the wonderful film Seasons of Change on Henry's Farm. Filmmaker Inna Summer and producer-author Tara Brockman, who were on our show this year, will take your questions after the showing. The Forefront sessions are free, online via Zoom, but you do need to sign up in advance. Go to mchenry.edu slash Forefront to register and check out the upcoming events in December, January, and February of 2021. That's mchenry.edu slash Forefront. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Yes, you can see in the lower left corner of your screen. Uh, and if you're listening, well, you'll be able to hear him. That's Chris Bates, uh, the editor of Grower Talks. He's still with us. Uh, did you contact Tony Abruscato during the break? Were we you have, able? Uh, Kayla and I have texted him. So <laughs> it's okay. And maybe I hope he's not we'll, driving. Uh, no, I think no. He's setting up. They they have a big event um, starting at eleven o'clock, and yeah. it's probably just in between setup. So he's he. I would expect he'll be popping in at any minute now. Okay, by the way, Peggy, one of my I've got a friend watching on Facebook who's um, from Homestead, Florida, a massive, massive plant grower and expert. And he noted mm. the plant that's behind your uh, your right shoulder is a is a, an unusual calathea cult network uh, for which uh, his company really? is the exclusive North American supplier. How about that? Uh, and he hey. also the, the the monstera that I showed you is called Thai Constellation. If anybody wants to look for that, and it, as you okay. said, it, it costs eighty thousand dollars. If you it want, does. One. I, yes. I'm taking bids right now on this one. Actually, I think <laughs> and, that's probably about twenty nine ninety five. That uh, really, that, that, well, it's the, slowly coming. They are coming to market. These these unusual uh, plants. A few a few years ago, you may remember there was a plant called um, Pilea peperomioides. Or the money plant. I've got one over the back corner yes. there. I should have yeah. um, little round leaves. It's kind of a nondescript plant. In fact, the industry, my smart people, never gave it a second look. It's like, ah, it's boring. 
Well, it became the uh, the um, Instagram plant of the year kind of a thing. You know, it was the yeah. it plant. And uh, suddenly you couldn't find one to save your life. And everybody was screaming for them and they were selling for ridiculous prices. And, and our, my industry caught up and started growing them, producing them. Yeah. And now you can pop into nearly any garden center and find a pile of pepperomioides. Well, and you can it, even it, find them at places like Trader Joe's. Yeah, of course. Uh, and it just shows you that the industry isn't always the ones pushing the plants and getting uh, uh, people interested. Sometimes it's the consumer who drives the industry. Yeah, we're a little, you know, we're, we're, us plant people are sometimes too close to the plants and we don't recognize what's cool until some mm-hmm. non plant person who just got into it points it out to us and we go, oh, is that cool? Okay. I, <laughs> I'll make some it, more. Well, it's interesting since you went down that road. Um, I got an email uh, very just a few days ago. Um, what are the uh, plants set to take over our homes in 2021? The, the top 10 house plants with the biggest increase in popularity in 10 years. Uh, uh, did, did you see this list by any chance, Chris? I don't recall if I did or not. Okay. Well, it, it, you know, it's a pitch from a, a PR thing and a, a firm, and it seems like a, a, actually kind of an interesting story. What they have, the number one rank uh, 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 of plants, the increase was 20, <laughs> 22.80%. Yeah. Um, fishbone cactus. Um, this number two yeah. was. Sometimes um, called a rickrack cactus, I think is. Called- a, a, a rickrack? Did you rick say rick rick rack cactus? It's zigzaggy. Yeah. Goes like this. Okay. Yeah. Ah, that's probably why, because it's it's interesting. Number two was the bunny ear cactus. Uh, are you familiar with that? Right, but it, yeah, I could picture a little, uh, you know, a cactus with little bunny ears on it. You can see what that looks like. <laughs> probably oh, no, the, the proper uh, genus and species. Of that I, you one. know, they don't have it listed here, and I wish they did because they have the most, the top ten most popular house plants right now, and they do include the uh, genus and species. Um, yeah, and they're saying it's the year of the cactus now. Yeah, because the number four, the, uh, number three is blue star fern, and then number four is mistletoe cactus. Now, these are the up-and-coming plants. Yeah. These are the ones that everybody's trying to get. Uh, and then... Uh, I, think it's, I think you've got to go after what you like. I think that's, that's the key. Um, and, uh, and thankfully, the main thing is garden centers and the big box stores and even grocery stores, they all recognize now that consumers mm-hmm. want house plants they love it's it's really a kind of yeah. a resurgence because we've already shown our age here uh, you know with the carburetor and the ibm's electric <laughs> talk so let's go back to the the house plant craze of the 70s where mm-hmm. there was a little house plant store on every corner every little old gas station was a house everybody plant had store. macrame plant, plant hangers macrame plant hangers which are, which are making the comeback and uh, are they you know, really okay. that's actually how how we got our start that the reason I'm surrounded by about 125 beautiful tropical plants and succulents is because my wife got hooked on plants in the late seventies in, in Florida when we were in college and she changed her major to horticulture and we, we haven't looked back. And that's what led me to turn my, my journalism degree into a horticultural journalism degree that has me traveling the world, uh, looking at flowers and plants and, and telling their, their stories. So, um, by the way, the, uh, the, the, the next uh, six on the list are Velvet Calathea, String of Hearts, Happy Bean Plant, Chinese mo- Money Plant, Snake Plant, and African Milk Tree. Uh, th- those are the up-and-comers. Now, sure, Snake, snake Plant, Sansevira, very common. Uh, there's four yeah. of my right down here. Impossible to kill. You could put them in a dark closet and come back in six months and they look fine. They're dying, but they, they look but they, okay. They, they just oh, perfect. Tell you. Mike? perfect for a yeah. plant. Tony's apparently been on for the last 10 minutes. 
really? I do not yes. see him here uh, at at all. On uh, on. Sorry, Chris. No, not a problem. Uh, holy smoke! Well, okay. Let I'll tell you what. Uh, let hmm. See, that's why we wanted we needed to do a test. Um, I could. I don't want to spend too much time on this. Um, see if uh, I don't see any audio. I don't see any video on that on his line. Um, did he click on that link from his phone? That's because I see I see nothing. Is he I, is he getting it, us? If you want to take me off camera, I will call him. Uh, you do that <laughs> right now, and I will do that right now. There you go, and goodbye, and go call. Um, Chris, it's just you and me, buddy. Uh, the fun for, of live broadcasting. <laughs> yeah, and doing it on the fly here. Um, as, I, as I joked, you know, I've done radio before, not too many times, but I've never had to shave for radio before. So. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you, you were talking about houseplants, and you know this being surrounded by them, you, and you said it's now up to people to, to get what they want, what they like. Here's the problem with that. You can like something and not have the proper conditions to keep it going. Um, a lot of people live in low light situations don't have the bright light that you have the bright indirect light which is perfect you've got it right there in that room i do not i'm smack in the middle of the city of chicago and so for instance in the in the summer uh i take my plants out back uh on the north side of the house where a lot of them can be in shade but they still get really bright light and they love being outdoors uh, in fact i have found the the greatest way to get rid of scale on a plant is just leave it outside for the summer and then uh, i don't know if, uh, if you've encountered that but it happens every year sure. with my chiflura which is now eight feet tall and it's got to weigh 80 pounds and i hate schlepping it in and out but it is so happy outside so you have to be careful about what plants you're going to have because of that it's true it's a it's um you know it's 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 art it's science it's trial and error I don't believe anybody has a, a brown thumb. I think they just haven't haven't been daring enough to try enough plants to find the things that, that grow for them. Every time one of my wife's plants dies or she kills it, uh, and trust me, she's a 40-year horticulturist, but she kills a lot of plants. She just uses it as an excuse to go buy three more to replace the one that she lost. And eventually you find the ones that do well in the spot where you want to put it, whether it's a kitchen window. Uh, you know, they all need some light. Um, so if you have a bathroom with, with no light whatsoever, no windows whatsoever, you're going to have a tough time. That's where the Sansevira, the snake plant, um, will do. It's a perfect first house plant. Cactus and succulents, uh, the same way, uh, cause they take so little care, you know, so they don't need water, but say once a month or something. So if you have a, a, a bright spot, but you have no time to water, um, that's perfect. Uh, and I agree with putting things outside, um, Probably, um, I won't say, maybe a dozen or so of the plants behind me, like the giant Siloam that's right behind my head. They, uh, and, and right next to me here, let me slide this around. This is a, our, our, one of our oldest plants right there. Isn't that pretty? The variegated foliage. Hey, hang, hang, hang on a second. I want to get a, uh, a larger view of that. All right, let's go. There we are. Okay, explain that. That's called a, a devil's backbone. Petalanthus tithomoloides is like the technical term. Uh, it's a succulent um, and it's super easy. And you can find them in garden centers now. Um, and uh, that one is, it was the, I think about the first plant my wife ever got. She got it from my, my late mom um, who gave her some cuttings and we've just taken more and more cuttings. So that's going back 30 plus years 
we've had you know that plant or it's it's its ancestor uh, and that one goes outside all summer long onto our patio it gets beautiful thick and lush and i carry it in here for the winter where even though I'm surrounded by beautiful windows, as you can see, um, it's still lower light than some of the plants like, and some of them shed leaves, and we come in every Saturday and vacuum up the leaves. But by next May, you know, the plant's <laughs> a little tired, we put him back outside, and he, he does well. We also have a, a, an LED light in our basement um, to put some other things, that uh, some tropicals that just don't, don't like to be even in this room, they just shed their leaves and they're kind of ugly and we don't want them on display in here. So we put them under that light in the basement, bring them out in May, hose them off, fertilize them, and they, they take off again. But but houseplants, to, to everybody out there listening or watching, um, just try it. Buy, ask the person at the garden center, you know, tell them, describe the situation you have. How much light do you have? Bring a photo of the window, you know, their spot and, and say, you know, recommend a couple of plants that I could try for this and uh, and and give them a shot. Um, a lot of people kill houseplants with kindness, too. They think, I got to water it. I got to water it some more. Did I water it? I don't know. Did you water it? Let's water it some more. Yeah. And they just drown the things. And, I think right. that more often do you drown a plant than you than you neglect it because a lot of houseplants will wilt a bit when they need some water. Oh, it's look, it's droopy. Water it thoroughly. Yeah. Uh, and then. But but don't be afraid. Uh, we'll make more if you kill it. We'll make more. Okay, let's let's bring uh, uh, Peggy back in, into this. Um, you'll make more plants. Uh, can yeah. you see Tony? Can no, you see Tony I, now? I cannot. I, I I'm tempted to see if I can just send him uh, a, another invite, but that would require require you to handle a conversation here for uh, a few can, minutes. Can he call the the special number? Um, yeah, he can call the special number if he if okay. he wants. So uh, have him do that right now. Okay. Let's see. Let's see if we can get take, him on. Take off my audio again, please. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll do. And I'll take off the video as well. Um, one one of the things about uh, indoor plants, uh, Chris, and I don't want to get too much of this because you're like the business guy, and this is sort of. A, but you were a grower at one point, right? Yeah, that's how we got started. My wife has a horticulture degree. I have a journalism degree with a minor in horticulture. And in 1983, we, we left the University of Florida, went south to a little town called Merritt Island, which is famous because at the north end of it is where the vertical assembly building for the uh, you know Kennedy Space Center sits. And uh, we started a greenhouse on some family land, a small business growing uh, florist, potted plants. We didn't grow foliage. There was too many foliage growers. We buy foliage and resell it to florists, but the florists were our main customer base and we sold them uh, all the holiday uh, potted plants, uh, Easter, Mother's Day, uh, Christmas poinsettias, things like that. So we learned it the hard way uh, and it is it is hard. It's very fun. It's very satisfying uh, and gratifying, but it's but it's a tough way to make a living. And so when I we decided to get out of it and, and I would see if I could write about it, having now done it for almost 10 years, uh, that's what led me up here to to Ball uh, Horticultural cool. Company and their their publishing division to, to run Grower Talks. Oh, my goodness. I just see somebody who popped in on our lower, and there is Tony. There he is. Uh, Tony Abuska. Made you made it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And and we've had Chris oh, Beatty's dear. doing uh, a time and a half. Uh, uh, we're going to owe you a lot of money, Chris. I don't think that uh, I can possibly. Don't worry, Tony. I told, I told him all about the truck, you know, because I'm That's an awesome. on it. That's it's, awesome. Having seen it once. <laughs> and you you can just keep my, give my honorarium to Chris. So, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I missed that in the uh, the email. Wait, yeah. where was that? What? Uh, well, <laughs> well, well, I'm going to let you go, Chris, because we can still do ten That's minutes fine. here with Tony. Um, thank you so much. Now, you you write for the business, but if folks wanted. 
to happen to get one of these magazines. I mean, they're going to find it, it. There's a lot of interesting stuff, like the, the articles that we talked about. Uh, uh, do you encourage the, the average uh, gardener to to pick up a magazine? Well, we're what's called a controlled circulation magazine. It's a trade magazine. You won't yeah. find it on the newsstand, uh, a jewel or anything like that. Um, so you have to be in the industry. If you go to a any greenhouse or garden center in Chicagoland and ask somebody, uh, hey, do you happen to have a copy of Grower Talks or Green Profit around here? Chances are they do. But you can go to uh, growertalks.com and click on the newsletter link. Uh, and there you can subscribe. Anybody on the planet can subscribe to one of nine different newsletters that uh, that I produce uh, uh, on different horticultural topics. There, there's mine, which is called Acres Online, which is sort of just about everything. We have one that's more focused on retail that's called Buzz. Uh, we mentioned controlled environment agriculture. We have one called Inside Grower that's all about growing inside, inside greenhouses, warehouses, et cetera, and a bunch of others. So anybody can go to growertalks.com and, and subscribe to our newsletters. Fantastic. Chris Bates, thank you so much. It's 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 a pleasure to get you back on the show finally after too many years. So we'll do it again. Yeah, it has been. And so we'll do it uh, sooner, okay? It, it won't take us uh, 15 years next time or whatever it was last time. Uh, <laughs> hey, listen, all right, have a great Sunday and uh, don't hurt those plants there. They're beautiful. Probably got to go water a few of them right now. Okay, fantastic. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Uh, there he goes, Chris Spades. Uh, and there he is. And uh, I'm going to move you uh, over a little bit, uh, Tony. There we go. Pop you up okay. in that part of the screen. And welcome. Welcome to the show, Tony. Well, thanks so much. I'm sorry. I had. I don't know what it was, but I had difficulty getting in. But but Peggy and I uh, worked through it. So, so I'm glad to be here. Nice to be in the the new format and the new uh, digs. Yeah, it's good to have you. Of course, Tony Abruscato is uh, the director of the Chicago Flower and Garden Show. Uh, he's the founder of the Get Growing Foundation. He's worked with us on the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards um, and uh, on and on and on. Mr. Green Chicago is uh, Tony Abruscato. And uh, are you in plant truck right now or not? No, well, we're... Um my my team is waiting for me downstairs we're actually in my office uh waiting to head over to our new location because uh, uh, i definitely couldn't get connected down in the truck so i i ran upstairs to our office uh, oh and, well that's a shame because i really wanted to get a tour of the truck uh so next time we've got to uh, do this a little more in advance so that uh we can make sure your your cell phone is working and we can get the tour of that truck. Well tell us uh a, a little bit about Plant Truck Chicago and where you're going to go today. So um as you know and Peggy uh Mike um Plant Truck Chicago is a 1974 GMC step van that was retrofitted uh <laughs> with a carburetor with a carburetor, with manual <laughs> transmission, uh, and uh, um, one of the challenges I have is nobody knows how to drive stick anymore, uh, so I'm about the only one who knows how to Oh, I got a second driver. Right, <laughs> there you awesome. go. <laughs> uh, if you don't mind but, me uh, lurching down the road, I, I yeah. yeah, but it's... Uh, it's I, oh, you'll love this, Tony. I grew up, I learned to drive a car with a stick shift, and it was a 1963 Corvair, unsafe at any speed. Wow. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this one is uh, this one's 22 feet long and, and weighs five tons. So it's it's uh, it's a monster. But we've been able to go out 
what I love with it is that we're, we're going out into different neighborhoods. So instead of, um, you know, a food truck, basically, we've got, and I heard you talking about, you know, uh, Monstera and a variety of different plants, but that's what we have in Plant Truck Chicago right now. We have Monsteras and Aglomina and, and oh, Dracaena cool. and, and um, uh, ZZ plants and cactus and succulents. I got one right um, behind me. There's a ZZ plant. Yeah. And so we're, and we've got them in all different sizes. So we've got some small ones, a four inch container, but we have 12 inch container. So you could have a nice statement piece, but what it's allowing us to do is to go into different neighborhoods and bring green into those neighborhoods. Um, a lot of them, like when we went to Chicago state and we're in Bronzeville and North Lawndale and Inglewood and a variety is we're bringing green to communities in need. And so oftentimes we're donating those plant material, uh, the plant material out. We donated over 3,200 veggie plants and herb plants this summer during the course of COVID out of plant structure sale at um, Halstead and Willow, 1806 North Halstead. And we are actually selling plants. So we'll be out into the Lincoln Park uh, neighborhood and uh, the truck is retrofitted on the inside it's heated it's got um it's got greenhouse a domed greenhouse glass up on the top so Mm -hmm. with this sunny day at least um we were a day off we should have went out yesterday when it was 56 degrees versus 36 degrees but we'll we'll be out there and and so um but it's giving us a chance to talk to people and and i call it green evangelizing um we're able to work with people we're finding 30 percent of the people that are coming up to the truck are telling us that it's the they've never owned a plant in their entire life um but the truck is the truck is cool looking and unique and so they start asking us about the truck we start asking them about plants and then we start teaching them about plants and hopefully sell them one so we're we're converting as we we go along which is why i say we're evangelizing out uh, out about yeah yeah what's been the the response to this you know it's been terrific not only from um our corporate partners but also from the public uh they're coming out and they're very excited about it and you can see the smiles on people's face when they when they walk into the truck and they see all of that green and they they get a chance to ask us questions about how much water when do i water how much light um indirect light you know direct light and so we've been seeing a tremendous response to it and as a matter of fact, like where we're going today, uh, Laramar is a, a, a apartment uh, company, management company, and they saw us out at different locations and they asked us, would you come out to our um, to our area and do that? Mm-hmm. So we're getting calls now, um, a couple calls a week, inviting us out to to go and visit. So it's really it's really, you know, catching on and people are are seeing the value of it. Is, is this the uh, the the future of uh, of the Get Growing Foundation is is sort of around plant truck, and will there be plant truck two coming up? Um, we are uh, not to put any pressure on people's gas, but I've been uh, uh, trying to talk <laughs> with them about donating another truck to us. Uh, so we're <laughs> hoping we're hoping that we'll we'll have another truck or two, so we'll have a small fleet of plant oh, trucks nice. that we'll use to go out along the area, and then what we'll do is we'll we'll supplement kind of the, you heard it here uh, first, is that um, we're working on developing a series of Get Growing Expos that will um, contain um, seven to 11 vignettes that are education-based. So 
pollinators and native plants and water reclamation, safety, um, um, and a variety of other topics related to gardening that we could pop up outdoors and uh, bring in our educators like we've done at the Chicago Flower and Garden Show, bring in people to talk on the different topics of the vignettes that are there and bring Plant Truck Chicago out in conjunction with a couple of garden centers and people could actually come out to us in late April, May and September and buy plants and all their gardening supplies at a get growing expo. And that's probably oh, nice. the, the, and that's the, the future of the Chicago flower and garden show. Cause we don't, we don't see an opportunity to, to host that event in its, in its um, original form anytime soon or maybe ever again. Uh, I was going to add, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, it, yeah, obviously it's not going to happen uh, this coming March. We're, we're nowhere near the end of this pandemic. Um, and of course you have to do that a year in advance. So even if this ends at the end of next year, that's going to really take it out of the picture for 2022, isn't it? Right, right. We're really looking and even, even now Navy peers saying they're hoping to open in April. So they don't, you know, so March isn't even an option. And so, so we're, you know, we're like, like everybody else, we're pivoting right now. And so we're like, these and so what we're going to do is we're going to build these vignettes on shipping containers, um, on on a pallet, and okay. so and so we'll be able to load them and unload them onto a truck or trucks. Um, but we're also talking with like Chicago High School for Agricultural Sciences and other groups that might actually design and build these containers and maybe maintain them, which would be part of their curriculum for the year. Um, Chicago Ag High School the Chicago flower and garden show was such a, an integral part of their curriculum that, you know, they've lost all of that now. And so we've been talking with them about growing plants that will distribute on plant truck Chicago and along with uh, a bunch of other groups, but being able to go out into these different neighborhoods and bring out these four foot by four foot vignette containers um, along with speakers and plant material is, I think is going to be great. And so we'll do, maybe we'll do three to five in 2021 and uh, and then beef that up for 2022. But yeah, I think as we know it, the Flower and Garden Show is is um, sadly no more. Is is that breaking news on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki? That's uh, that's this is about as official as I've ever talked about it. Uh, so I would say yes. Wow, um, that is uh, Peggy that is breaking news. <laughs> we just um, broke the story uh, that the Chicago Flower and Garden Show does not seem likely to it's reappear. Morphing. Is yeah, it's, it's right. Reinventing it's, it's a really good way of putting it. Is yeah. morphing uh, right. again, uh, and, and I think that actually helps. That real. I know we only have a couple minutes here, but that really helps because you can get it then out to the neighborhoods, and it's not dependent on people coming to the show. And it's right. it, and, more and people our, will likely attend. Is, and our our goal is that hopefully it'll be at no charge, so it will be free, uh, free to the public. Is Even what better. we're hoping for. Yeah, yeah, and. And so that's part of, you know, but to Mike's thing where that started, it's part of Plant Truck Chicago is going out into the different neighborhoods. And so we'll just say, let's take, you know, let's take the show um, on the road. And so if we can, we can hit into, um, you know, North Lawndale and Inglewood and Pilsen and we've, you know, and, and hey, maybe, maybe pop up um, outdoors at Navy Pier or pop up in, in uh, yeah. some of the developments along the way. I think that'll be that'll be great for us. And, and again, inspire, educate, and motivate keeping those same principles of the flower mm -hmm. and garden show so that we'd inspire people with 
those vignettes, but we'd educate them and bring um, industry professionals along to to uh, pop up under a tent. More evangelizing. Uh, we'll we'll bring we'll bring a prayer tent out and and have people uh, meet up under that and learn about plants. That sounds good to me, uh, Tony. Uh, one more time, if uh, folks want to see Plant Truck Chicago in action today, where do they go at eleven a.m.? So um, they can go to 1806 North Halstead, which is roughly Halstead and Willow in Chicago. And then because the weather's going to be so nice next week, we're finalizing a couple of last minute pop ups that we weren't planning on doing. um, But it's supposed to be in the mid 60s next week. So they can also go to our website, getgrowingfoundation.org. And if they plant, uh, if they um, click on Plant Truck Chicago, we actually have a interactive map there so you can see where we've been and where we're going there's also a listing of upcoming locations but we'll probably get out two or three times this week coming up um unexpectedly okay tony abrascato i see people today yes i just hope uh, they come out today but as you said uh when it warms up a little bit later in the Mm -hmm. week uh so go to uh the website which for get growing foundation is tony getgrowingfoundation.org and um, then and then you, you can follow and yeah, you follow can, us on Instagram at plant truck chicago ah yeah. right uh, plant truck chicago on Instagram and and all the information about plant truck chicago is on the website and of course it's on my website mikenovak.net i've got all right. those links as well tony i know you got to get going thank you i'm glad you ran upstairs to get to your computer and hook up we really appreciate it <laughs> oh my gosh thank you and i'm sorry you, sorry i was late it's always great to talk with you both all right. Well, we'll do it again soon, uh, and 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 we'll we'll make sure because I, I still want that visual tour of the truck on our show. So we'll set it up and make it happen. How's that? For sure, because it's it's awesome. It's awesome. All right. Take care, Tony. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks, Tony. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, we've got more coming up, uh, and uh, we're joined by a an Illinois University of Illinois master naturalist and friend of the show, Mac Austin, next, and maybe talk a little bit uh, uh, about heading towards this election on Tuesday. So please stick around. Hi, I'm Victor Nakashima with Bartlett Tree Experts. Here at Bartlett, safety has always been at the core of our business. We even have a guiding principle that we call safety above all else. For us, this principle means that the health and safety of our employees and all the people they come in contact with comes first, every day, at every job. As we continue to provide essential tree care services, those safety procedures now include social distancing, and even more stringent sanitation practices. Before proposing work or visiting your property, we will call ahead so that you know that we are coming. Once we arrive, you can give us a quick wave from the window or meet us outside at a safe distance. If you're meeting with an arborist representative, he or she will give you a call upon arrival so you can have an on-site dialogue about your trees while you stay right inside your home. For all new work, a detailed proposal will be prepared and emailed promptly to you. With the help of our administrative staff, you can approve and schedule the work from your phone or computer. On the job, representatives and crews will be thoroughly cleaning equipment and disinfecting their hands. Teams will be meeting at the work sites instead of in the office. Crews will be fully briefed in advance and arrive with the exact specifications and goals of your tree care so that there's no need for you to personally interact with them. Building relationships is one of the most rewarding parts of our work. 
and that's not changing. While the way we communicate may be different, the way we care about our clients and their landscapes is still very much the same. We will continue to provide dedicated service while safely caring for your trees and shrubs. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sips-on of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me. And welcome back to the show. Um, I've noticed we've had just a, a little bit of streaming problems, but they seem to be corrected yeah, right Facebook, now. Facebook. Kayla says Facebook uh, is glitching a little, but a YouTube little, seems okay. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, and it, so it's back you, up If you're strong. not catching us on Facebook, go to YouTube or go, go to, go, to MikeNovak.net. Right, MikeNovak.net. You can catch the live stream there, and we found that YouTube tends to handle it just a little bit better than Facebook. Um, and speaking of YouTube, before we get to our next guest, uh, we had some comments on the YouTube stream here, um, including Dan Costa. Um, he says, a wild and crazy year, because he works at uh, a, a garden center, Vern Goer's Greenhouse in Hinsdale, Illinois. And Daniel says, a wild and crazy year. Haven't seen anything like it in my 42 years in the business. Hope the new mm. gardeners will keep going with it in the future. Uh, Mike Rimlin, I think that's uh, uh, Chris, Chris Beatty's friend. Uh, great show you have. And uh, he said, Chris knows our industry. And that's when uh, he wrote, Peggy, that looks like a Calathea network behind you. Uh, and then uh, Dan, here's the funny part. Dan Costa <laughs> writes, the bunny bear cactus is an Opuntia species with short white or yellow thorn clusters. Do not pet a bunny ear cactus. <laughs> no. Nope. Cust- somehow I've got a Looney Tunes cartoon going through my head or something. Uh, uh, let's see here. Um do not uh, pet a bunny ear cactus. Saw a customer do it once. Sure, she regretted that. Um, and, uh, and then Kayla, our our assistant, uh, wonderful Kayla out there. Thank you, Kayla. Thought, hi, all. Make sure to refresh if your Facebook has been interrupted. So there you go. I guess you could do the same thing with, uh, with um, uh, the stream on YouTube. So uh, if, if you're having any kind of issue, uh, YouTube usually bounces right back. So we're... That's that's a good thing, and you know we we find we have these glitches here, and uh, most of them right after ten a.m. That's when the glitches yep, happen. That's we and we think that we call them the church glitches because we think that's what everybody's streaming uh, church at that point, and usually about this time, yeah, and it, it just now it kind of went as if uh, God is up there and and looking down and saying, "Don't you say anything bad about church?" So uh, with that in mind, let us uh, bring in our next guest and uh um i'm gonna ask you there mac can you can you mm-hmm. tilt down a little bit i can see a lot of your the, there there we go that better that, that is better? it certainly hey, mac, is good morning 
Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Peggy. It's a great um, show so far. Fascinating. <laughs> Thank you. We have some great uh, guests on the show, good people. Uh, and so are you. Um, and that's why you're here today. First of all, Mac Austin is a longtime friend of mine. She's a longtime friend of the show. Uh, but she's oh, also yeah. a University of Illinois master naturalist. Um, and uh, I know what you're going to say. You're gonna, you're she gonna gets say, a ding. Uh, she gets a, two dings. <laughs> Uh, and I know what she's going to say, oh, come on. I just, I took a course. Ah, uh, it's not, you there know. are many, many smarter people, but it's a great, great program. It's well, you really know, it is. Well, tell us a little bit what it entails to become a, a master naturalist. What it entails is you sign up, you pay the fee and you go to the classes. So you can be as ignorant as I was, which was completely, um, you don't have to have a great, huge background and you learn about the forest preserves of Cook County, and you learn about the geology of this part of Illinois and the plants and the animals and um, how the forest preserves protect them and how they're trying to grow and all sorts of different things. It's really wonderful. It's a great way to get an education. And I had been a carless Chicagoan for 25 years before I took this course. I almost never went to the forest preserves and I learned so much and so much appreciation about the variety of landscape around this area and how much wild space there is here, just not very far from where any of us are. So it was, it's a great program. Yeah. And um, I thought, uh, I think I did. Let me uh, update my uh, computer because this morning I realized I didn't have a link on the blog to the master naturalist program. So I, I added it in there and it it's trying to update. And I think, I think it is there. And if it's not there now, I will make sure that uh, people have that information because um, as you said, it's uh, yeah, there it is. Uh, it, and the link you go to is extension.illinois.edu slash M N as in master naturalist. So it's really, Kayla really, right e- now. So um, she can tweet that out. That that'd be great, but that's that's really not yeah, why you're here. Although I, I have to admire the fact that you did this. Uh, Mac and I were were taking a walk the other day with Kathleen, and we were doing uh, dueling ident- tree identification. Which uh, <laughs> I don't uh, remember any, so I have to look them up on my phone every single time. But well, you've got the tree keeper with you, though. Yeah, but you, you're you, walking with the tree keeper, though. Uh, yeah, but you know, tree ID. Yeah. Any, you know what? Any kind of plant ID is 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 always really difficult. Uh, people think that just because you talk about them all the time, you can snap your finger and, mm-hmm. and ID anything, and um, it's uh, it can yeah. be it can be difficult, especially tree ID in the winter. But that's you know, people can do it by shape, by bark, by by all kinds well, of things. Especially when trees can cross. So you can, you know, you can say this looks like a white oak, but it has aspects of a red oak. What's going on? You know, <laughs> that's not fair. Wait a minute. Um, it but, I, my but, book. but I say the same thing when people say, well, you're a master gardener. And I say, well, you know, I took the course and and, and actually it's a, this show is a, is a master gardener class every week for me. Um, so, and I've been doing this for, for, you know, 23 years. So you, even by accident, you learn things, uh, along the way. Um, so, uh, congratulations on that, Mac. I think that's just uh, wonderful. And, and you got to understand you've also, you went back to school at the, uh, a tender young age to get your degree in, (laughs) 
environmental studies. I've gone back to school as a, an old lady to get uh, to <laughs> You're not an old lady. Study. <clears throat> and I don't quite know what I'm going to do with it. But uh, and your show was a big part of pushing me in that direction, that and and urban urban ag. Um, and there's also Illinois Extension, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing, has a wonderful, <clears throat> excuse me, master urban farmer program as well that I took. So I'm just taking every class I can think of <laughs> See, um, just to uh, learn. I'm just a sponge right now. I have no idea what I'm going to do with it. Uh, but and I at any age, you can do this at any age, if, you know. Yeah. And you, and you got to see this. Uh, I just got a text from our buddy Skeet from Bartlett Tree Experts. And I don't know if you can see it, but it's right at the top. And he's, uh. he's got all those hearts <laughs> and things because he loves it, it. It said tree ID and he's got a heart and a green thing and a Christmas tree and another <laughs> heart. So uh, Skeet, we love you. And we're, we're glad you're out there. And... Mm -hmm. What was that, Mac? I don't think I'd really appreciated forests until I did Master Naturalists. And then all of a sudden, the variety, I like, taking walks and hikes and but the the diversity and just yeah. the fascination of forests and what lives there and how important they are i didn't understand it completely i don't think until yeah. i did and, the master naturalist course and there are plenty of courses people can take like through the morton arboretum and through other places online um i took one on uh, woodlands ecology for example through morton and you're not signing up for the whole thing it's just a um, a series of virtual courses and a lot of online learning, and it makes it more accessible. Mm -hmm. You're not committing to a whole three-year program or something. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. 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 And they're wonderful, wonderful. Now that everything's on Zoom, you know, I can mm -hmm. take a lunch hour and take a course on, you know, trees of Southern Illinois. It's like, ooh, cool. I'll yeah. do that. <laughs> you know, I, I've Why been... not? I've been avoid I've been avoiding school for the last forty years. All right, and here you are diving into it. Um, but uh, maybe it's well, just I dropped out of a lot of schools when I was young, so this is my <laughs> chance to come back. <laughs> yeah, which is really interesting because then for twenty years you've also been an educational writer. So yeah, you ironically. you've made up yeah. for lost time. You really have. Um, so the reason you're here though, is not to talk about that, although that's fascinating. And I think maybe some people will become inspired to do what you have done and, and take up some of these courses. Um, but we're here to talk about the election on, uh, on Tuesday, the most important election, uh, of our lives. And, uh, there's just no way, two ways about it. I mean, you can look back and say the election of 2016 was the most important of our lives, but we didn't know it at the time. We know it. It is now, this yeah, time. Yeah. Um, and there's been no other election that uh, I've been part of, and I've been voting uh, since 1972. Um, and uh, um, you uh, have been volunteering uh, uh, to help folks get to the polls, um, and there are lots of opportunities to do that. And, and given the dire circumstances that our environment is under you know we're an environment and gardening program we spent the first uh part of the show today talking mainly gardening stuff uh but we also talk environment and peggy and i have been looking at articles all week about uh about what's going on and why it's important to vote just in terms of the environment i mean i have a, a list of uh a 10 or so articles 
right now on the blog that you can go to and click on. The first starts uh, is a field guide to the election and climate change from the New York Times. Uh, the the uh, Washington Post uh, writes, Trump rolled back more than 125 environmental safeguards. Here's how. Uh, White House releases new plan for seismic tests in Arctic refuge. New that anal- just happened. That, that, that happened this week. Um, new analysis shows climate change is making it harder to vote. Uh, feds and protections for gray wolves in the midst of biodiversity crisis. That happened yesterday. With Justice Barrett, a tectonic court shift on the environment. Sleeping giant Arctic methane deposits starting to release, scientists find. While we focus on COVID-19, Trump's EPA is quietly killing us. The pandemic has given... Dicamba! (laughs) It's just... On, just, just reapproved. Yeah. It's on and on and on, on, and, and, on, on and on and on and on. While we've been sitting here focused on COVID uh, and other things uh, and the craziness coming out of the White House, they have been gutting our institutions, including the EPA, including the Interior Department, including the Justice Department, uh, packing the Supreme Court with 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 right wing judges who favor big business and you know what big business wants no regulations they they don't even accept any kind of regulations they want it to be wild west free for all go into our natural uh, lands and start drilling tomorrow um and this is the way they think and they say well we need to you know it's it's killing the environment i'm sorry it's killing the economy with these regulations well last time i looked we were on a record-breaking economy that started with the barack obama administration in 2010 and it's gone straight up until we hit COVID, and then we know what happened what happened is is this great there was already a great divide now even a greater divide wall street on one end and main street on the other and main street is just uh uh in in the gutter right now uh wall street is having a picnic you know and break out the champagne uh it you know until until that crashes too so well, and who's harmed by the lack of regulation it's it's exactly people, you know who that's where the toxic waste dump gets put that's where their houses are next to you know the factories spewing out something that is now unfiltered you know, it's it's indigenous peoples and poor people and people of color all over this country and black and brown people and, you know, the white working class. And, you know, and it's it's completely connected. It's not separate. No. And and when they talk about uh, how the country you know has to pay for all these regulations, what they don't talk about is how the country pays for not having regulations down the road. We never look and the at the health care costs. Exactly. That's that's part of it. The health care costs and um, the uh, lost jobs as well. I mean, we can. Th- that's one of the wonderful things. We had uh, Jerry Edelman on the show last week talking about the uh, new initiative they want to have conservation jobs, uh, uh, a million conservation jobs, and Dick Durbin is pushing that bill. And you can go to my website and look at last week's blog to get more information on that. Um, but that's why Tuesday is so important. Uh, it's going to already, already, and in, in some of the articles here, uh, the second one, the New York Post one that I mentioned that Peggy was kind enough to send to me, um, it was 
how long the the changes that have been made in the last four years are going to last. It's not like you snap your fingers on January 21 and you can undo all of that harm. It's going to take years, and some of them may never be uh, changed back. Yeah, and that's pulling hard back, to pulling back gas drilling leases, for example. Yeah. You can't pull those back yeah. easily. Yeah. Right. Sorry, Mac. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's but I agree with you completely. That's exactly what it is. I don't even completely comprehend that it won't be just undo it. Just undo it. Um, That it will be a much longer lasting. Well, let's put it this way. Trump has not been able to undo a lot of the Obama stuff as hard as he's tried. Mm -hmm. You know, I I looked at some of there was one. uh, I'd have to look at the article in the Washington Post piece that talks about. Yeah. Um, a lot of things tied up in the courts. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. and how some of them have been uh, defeated and some of them not. You know, Trump has managed to get through a, a, a lot of changes that are going to make our environmental uh, worries even bigger going forward. So with that in mind, uh, Mac, you've, you're one of the people who said, I, I, I can't let this happen. And people have to get out and vote. And tell us about the organization you got involved with and what you're doing. Well, the organization I got involved with is called Souls to the Poles. And it is in Milwaukee. Um, And uh, I can give you the URL for it. But basically, it's been around for a while. I just got involved this election with it. Um, it's, uh, it was started by a group of ministers in inner city Milwaukee, and its whole purpose is to get initially was to get educate, register, and get voters in Milwaukee to the polls, because there's a history of voter suppression Mm -hmm. there. And, um, and they wanted to combat that. And then with COVID, Everything got shut down. They had to completely change rapidly, as everybody did, how they were working. And so what we're doing for this election is um, they have gotten funding and they are providing free lift rides for people to the polls. And that's been happening for early voting. And then the next available day is... Um, it's happening this afternoon. If anybody in Milwaukee is listening, call. Um, but it's also expanded. So now it's all over Wisconsin. Anybody in Wisconsin can call Souls to the Polls. We don't ask who you're voting for. That's none of our business. This is about getting people to vote. Mm-hmm. This is about getting people who have difficulty voting and who might not understand voting or be concerned about how they're, whether they're registered and what issues come up with all of those things and getting them the chance to cast their vote. And it's incredibly fulfilling to do. And so essentially I'm, I'm a switchboard operator. Somebody calls and when I'm on my shift and I type in um, you know, their information to the Lyft concierge and I make sure and I answer any questions that they have and then they can call me back if there's any issue. And then they call and get a ride home once they're at the polls. So I've talked to people who have uh, had walkers and needed assistance and weren't quite sure um, what they were doing. I've talked to people who have moved recently. So how did they register? Where did they go? What did they have to bring with them? 
And some of the people that I've talked to or heard about are incredibly committed. Going to the polls, not understanding that they went to the wrong polling place, calling us back, going to another polling place that was the correct polling place, going to a polling place without quite the right information if they've moved. I had one woman who would essentially tried three times. Wow. She didn't get it. It's really inspiring. It's really inspiring. And, and, and it and, feels good to do it. And you finally got her to a polling place? And we she, finally got her. Well, actually, no. Well, she'll get to a polling place on Election Day because as of yesterday, um, you couldn't go to a polling place with proof of address, an early voting place. They had a cutoff day mm -hmm. um, where if you'd moved in the year and you were registered, then you had to bring proof of your new address along with your ID. And that was fine. And at a certain point that cut off. They weren't doing it anymore. And the only day you could do it was election day. So and, this poor woman had tried yeah. to vote twice. Mm -hmm. And then finally, we all figured it out. And she's going to, but she signed up. She's she's not giving up. She's going to vote on election day. And, and then the other big thing we have is curbside voting. Sorry. Ah, no, that's oh. okay. Go for it. You're, you're the one. You're, yeah. <laughs> you're, tell us about it. <laughs> Curbside voting, I don't know if it's other places beyond um, Wisconsin, but in Wisconsin, supposedly, it is law of some kind that if a person cannot make it into the polling place itself, people at the polling place have to come to the curb to give them their ballot. Hmm. Then two people from the polling place will then carry it back into and, and submit it. So that means that people who are disabled, who have issues, who can't stand in line or wait, they have access to being able to cast their vote. And so what Souls to the Polls is doing is we are, because the Lyft driver is not going to wait, they have, they have work to do. They're, they're on the job. Right. So what Souls to the Polls is doing is we're providing curbside assistance. So somebody will be at the polling place with a car you can sit in the car fill out your ballot you'll be you know safe warm have a place to sit and they will help negotiate with the polling place and the um the poll people i don't know what they're called um to make sure you get your ballot and it gets back inside and that you're satisfied with being able to cast your vote and then so, those people wipe down their cars after people have sat in them and they before wipe down the, their cars yeah. and yeah. Yeah. So we're looking for election day. We're looking for more curbside people. So if anybody listening wants to drive up to Milwaukee, um, this is, I believe, curbside. We're only offering Milwaukee. Um, but if somebody wants to drive up, I have an email address of a wonderful woman named Norma who mm -hmm. you should email. So uh, can I and, give you um, I tell you what later? Uh, um, sure. Um, yeah, why not? Okay. You can also go to, probably you could go to their Facebook page and connect as well. Yeah. I would think. Yeah. You could go to their Facebook page. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it's souls to the polls, Milwaukee. Souls to the polls, Milwaukee dot something. Yeah. And the web, the website Are you is, it, um, souls, souls to the polls, MKE dot org. Yeah. Okay, and as we know, Milwaukee is one of the uh, foremost cities of voter suppression history, 
and uh, Wisconsin's a terribly important state. Uh, I, I'm going to have to let you go, uh, but uh, one more thing I will remind people that, you know, in Illinois, still a lot of things on the ballot, like the uh, flat tax, getting rid of the flat tax. Please vote yes to get rid of the flat tax. It is unfair. Boy, I am so angry at the ads I'm seeing on TV where people, their argument their argument against the flat tax is not that it's inherently unfair, which it is. They don't even take on that argument. They say, well, you know, you're, they're going to raise our taxes, and I don't trust those people in Springfield. It's, all, it's really cynical. It's just I don't trust people in Springfield, so you should not vote to have a fairer tax in Illinois. Nuts. That's just nuts. Um, so, um, uh, Mac, thank you so much. I'll tell you what. If thank anybody, you guys so much. And if anybody and writes to me, and anybody writes to me and says, "Who's that Norma person?" I will will connect okay. and we'll, we'll make sure, sure that the people get the information. <laughs> um, okay, um, I'm hoping that uh, Rick DeMaio calls real soon. He probably yep, will. He said he's all set. He was calling 10:30. He was just finishing voting. Uh, oh Ooh, well, yay. we get to talk to him about that. All right, we'll Fresh take a voter. break. Mac uh, Austin, thank you so much for being with thank us, uh, and thanks for your work, uh, Souls for. Uh, the polls and for your master naturalist uh, work as well. Uh, I'll see you real soon. Okay. okay. Uh, we'll Bye, be back. Guys. We'll be back with Rick DeMaio, meteorologist extraordinaire after this. Probiotics from industry leader, tiny biologicals, which means they sell good soil biology, which means they maximize soil biodiversity that results in healthy soil and healthy plants. Tinyo beneficial microbial soil components will add a major boost to depleted soils. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Collective Resource Compost wants to show you how they make composting easy in Chicagoland. You can reduce greenhouse gas emissions by diverting food scraps from landfills. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Composting is what nature would do if we just got out of her way. Learn how easy it is to divert waste at your home, school, or workplace. Go to collectiveresource.us. Since 2001, DiveHeart has been revolutionizing rehabilitation using zero gravity and scuba therapy to give confidence, independence, self-esteem, and yes, freedom to children, veterans, and others with disabilities. At DiveHeart, we believe in the power of partnership because together we can do great things. Let DiveHeart help you imagine the possibilities in your life. Go to DiveHeart.org to learn more. The world has changed. A year ago, you were growing food because it was fun. Now it's important. That's why you need Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Thanks to the best science, the wavelengths are tuned to your plant's needs. They're versatile, they're elegant, they have a five-year warranty, and they're made in America. Peggy and I are huge fans. Go to MikeNovak.net for the code to save 5% on your purchase. Go to HappyLeafLED.com to get more information. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Mulecki. I wanted to hear more of that because that is our our, yeah. our wonderful friends, uh, our wonderful friends, uh, Mark Levesque. There we are. It's kind of a lead into walking like an agrarian, right? Yeah, uh, honeysuckle rose. Uh, so we did Mark, Le- uh-huh. 
Oh, and there's Rick DeMaio. Hey, Rick. Oh, no, we stopped at Zeta. <laughs> we stopped at Zeta. Uh, oh, I got to do that. Yeah, let me do that, and then I'll get back to uh, uh Yeah, why don't you let uh, Rick know that uh, he's he's here? Whoa, did we just? I think we just lost him. He's going to have to call back. All right, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And before we get to Rick DeMaio, if you want to walk like an agrarian. You need to think like one. The second session of Forefront Ideas in Food and Farming is coming up on Sunday, November 15th at 1 p.m. Brought to you by the Center for Agrarian Learning at McHenry County College. It's a free online speaker series featuring innovative thinkers and doers. On November 15th, Whole Grain Supply Chain features a food system, a uh, food system dietitian, a farmer, and a baker discussing the benefits and challenges they face using artisan grains in their business. Before that, however, on Thursday, November 12th at 6 p.m., take part in a screening and discussion about the wonderful film Seasons of Change on Henry's Farm. Filmmaker Ines Summer and producer-author Tara Brockman, who were on our show earlier this year, will take your questions. The Forefront sessions are free online via Zoom, but you need to sign up. Go to mchenry.edu slash forefront to register and check out the upcoming events in December and January and February of 2021. That's mchenry.edu slash forefront. Rick, are you with us? Are you there? I can hear you. Okay, great. Okay, good. Uh, we, we weren't sure about that. So uh, we, we were hearing Becca, so. And we, we were just uh, kind of afraid that something, something was going to get said that shouldn't be said on the radio. Um, and uh, where have you just been? I understand you were doing your um, civic, civic duty. Yeah, I was um, bringing the donuts to the people who are operating the early voting um, um, set up there in uh, downtown Evanston. That was my civic duty. Good for you. Uh, were you nice. voting too, or while you... I was there, while I was there, I decided to vote. Yeah. <laughs> donuts, donuts first, voting second. Uh, your priorities are in order. <laughs> yep, and wrote wrote in wrote in me for um, weatherman. I'm the, I'm the weatherman for Cook County. Cook County is weatherman. Uh, oh, ah. okay. Uh, I'm not are sure. Are you on the ballot? <laughs> are, are you on the ballot? It's a joke, Mike. I wrote myself in. Okay, that's what I. Okay, that's what we were asking. I, we, I don't know if Rick can hear me or not. He might I'm, only hear you. Yeah, I'm not sure why that is either. Because uh, uh, can you hear Peggy at all, there, Rick? I Rick, cannot hear. Can Peggy. you hear me? Unless, all right. Unless she sounds exactly like you. Uh, no, she doesn't. So I'm going to have to uh, translate for Peggy uh, as we do this. So we had this uh, issue last week, and I'm not sure what that's all about because the. The, the bus is there, but all right. So anyway, um, uh, obviously, we were just talking on the show here, Rick, about the election and all of the implications uh, about the environment uh, that uh, are, are, on, uh, are on the docket for Tuesday and into the future. I'm sure you have a, uh, a, a few things that uh, concern you as well as, as we head into Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, uh, you probably don't want to hear my prediction. Do you want to hear it? No. Uh, uh, yeah, I do, actually. What's your prediction? Uh, Trump wins, but the Democrats take the Senate and the House. Well, I think you're wrong, but um, there you go. Um, and, 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 and folks who are listening, and 
hear Rick DeMaio say he thinks Trump's going to win, it, it should encourage you to get out and vote because you still can in Illinois. You can today, tomorrow, um, Tuesday, obviously. And uh, I'm I'm counting on the numbers, meaning that uh, there are an overwhelming number of people who want to see him go away, uh, and who are just tired. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. Just just tired of the chaos. Just tired. Just a lot of I, what I keep hearing over and over again uh, in the last couple of weeks is people are just tired of the nonsense that they deal yeah. with and the yeah. anxiety every day you know i mm-hmm. i wake up every day and and look at news headlines and i say now what craziness what what fresh hell do we have today right um and so i hope you're wrong i really hope you're wrong rick and do you want to know the reasons why why I feel this way why um i think there's just a tremendous amount of enthusiasm on the Trump base that is blowing away the enthusiasm on the Biden side. And I still don't think Biden over the last two or three weeks has really done enough to uh, talk about things like the environment and Black Lives Matter. Um, he's not saying those things. And I just, I just think that he's, he's going down the same path that Hillary was going down, which was complacency. And I think the only reason why he's getting out now more now than he was two or three weeks ago is because he's seen all these rallies and they're being scared. And and you got to give it to, to to Trump on this as much as I despise the man. Um, he's got his base fired up, and he's getting out there and he's and he's talking and he's getting them uh, to be passionate about voting for him. And every time that he has a rally, that rally is being broadcast across the nation by Fox News, and that's why he's rallying in Pennsylvania, because that's being broadcast to Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin. So I think he runs a clean sweep from Florida through Ohio, through Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, and he'll probably end up winning by 10 electoral votes. But the down ballots are really going to hurt him, and then we're going to end up with... um, basically a house and a congress that is all democrat and the president is going to be by himself and we're going to be in more gridlock than we were ever before well i i i just happen to disagree i um and and it's interesting that you feel that way but uh i i think i think people understand uh, you know you look at the numbers and i don't want to get too far into this because we're going to talk uh weather as well uh It's uh, that he has lost significant portions of his base. His base has never gone above 44 percent. And you can't win a presidency with 44 percent. And that, to me, is the story. And I think the the story is the numbers, the people who said, "Okay, we're sick of this. We're going out. uh, We're going to make sure we do it early. I think they heard that message. Uh, For God's sake, folks, uh, if you have a a mail-in ballot, please walk it to your uh, polling place. Do not put it in the mail at this point. Uh, I mean, yeah, the Trump's all, all you know, uh, gutted the post office. Um, really, yeah. he's, uh, but I think that people will overcome it. I really do think they will. So that's that's my opinion uh, about it. And right yeah. now, that's all they are is opinions. I voted. You voted. Yeah. Peggy's voted. And, I voted. Yeah, we're moving forward. So. Yeah, uh, and by the way, I was in and out of the Evanston Civic Center in about 10 minutes. It was great. Got 
got there at like 10.09 and was out by literally 10.30. It was pretty quick. What were the crowds like? Oh, I didn't have to wait at all. Did not have to wait I, at I, all. I, uh, but, uh, but that's because I, I don't know if people know what's open people. on a Sunday. Oh, Peggy. Yeah, that's probably part of it as well, Peg, yeah. Uh, but yeah, getting getting there about an hour after it opens up on a Sunday morning when it's cloudy and windy and cold is, uh, I think, worked to my advantage. So I, I use my forecasting experience to give me an edge on early voting. How about that? <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a segue, right? Uh, there we go. Uh, there we okay, go. sure. <laughs> All right. So speaking of which, is there another tropical depression forming? I thought I saw something about that yesterday, but I, I didn't stop to read it. Did you hear that, Rick? No, I did not. No, okay, you're you're, you're, hear, you're hearing Peggy sometimes and, and 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 not at other times. So she asked if there was another tropical depression forming. Um, yeah, the um, tropical depression now is now tropical storm Ada uh, that formed in the same area almost where um, Zeta formed, and uh, mm. this now breaks the record of 27 named storms that we had uh, back in 2005. Um, The the interesting thing is, again, you look back at the year 2005, and we had so many more hurricanes that were, you know, Category 4s and Category 5s. Nearly 3,200 people died during that year. I think this year uh, it's 27. We had $180 billion in damage. Uh, This year so far, I think the damage is less than $30 billion. Uh, the accumulated cyclone energy that year was a record. I think it was about 225 or 230. Right now, our accumulated cyclone energy for all the storms is at about 145. Average for this time of the year is about 98. Average for the year is about 125. Uh, so we're not going to get anywhere near what we were in 2005 unless we have like two or three Cat 5s develop. But uh, we don't see that happening. And this storm itself, uh, which is called Ada, uh, will eventually move off to the west uh, and probably hit, um, I'm thinking, somewhere around Belize, Guatemala, Nicaragua. Uh, could become a Cat 1. But it was amazing. Even last week when I read on the air uh, that Zeta had formed, it was only two days later it became a hurricane, um, weakened as it moved across the Yucatan Peninsula, and really one of the most amazing metamorphosis of tropical cyclones um, you'll ever see uh, occurred Wednesday night as this storm moved northward over 75 degree water. It was the front part of the deep trough that was over the desert southwest that had produced that massive, uh, you know, cold pool and snow and ice storm over Oklahoma and Texas. Really record ice storm when you think about it for this early in the year. The front part of that storm, or the front part of that upper trough, actually enhanced the data, which you don't see too often. And the storm actually went from a Cat 1 to a high-end Cat 2 right at landfall. And you had 110-mile-an-hour winds in Biloxi, Mississippi, and a 10-foot storm surge. So it just goes to show you how fickle some of these tropical storm systems are. And again, the poor people in Louisiana, this was the seventh time this year they've been under a cone. Uh, and the fifth time that they've had landfall, that's a record for them. And it was also the strongest um, ever uh, category, you know, one or two hurricane to make landfall so late in the hurricane season. 
So, again, even though we're not breaking, per se, records for a season, we're creating new ones, uh, which, again, continue to take the envelope of a hurricane season and push it um, either further northward or further outward in time. I think those are both both noteworthy things about uh, this particular season, Mike and Peg. Yeah, I guess you would consider it among the uh, most uh, uh, powerful seasons, even though it didn't uh, approach, uh, as you say, 2005. Yeah, you know what? Not even that, Mike. I mean, only um, only 120, only 125 on the index of, of accumulated cyclone energy. Um, it really wasn't that much from a standpoint of large storms. The only thing that I think is noteworthy is we've had so many landfalling storms. Yeah, um, in the same place. Kind of, yeah, yeah, that's a good point, Peg. So many landfalling storms that, again, during the, during the pandemic, uh, and then when you have to mitigate and adapt and evacuate people, that part of the cost um, is still way up there. So I think these are things that need to be talked about from a standpoint of, of how policymakers go about and predict what they need for the following season. So oftentimes people in government, you really don't make decisions on how to prepare for something based on the intensity. You prepare for whether or not something is going to happen. Uh, you're not going to say, well, if they're only going to be cat ones, we'll be okay. Well, because you know that as soon as you're in a direct path of one, you have to go through the same sort of procedures. Do we have this in place? Do we have this in place? Do we have that in place? And unless you're preparing that for that for the year before, whether it's a Cat 1 or a Cat 5, you go through the same amount of preparation. So what, what we don't want people to think about it, just because it was a down year for intensity, doesn't mean that it's a down year for a number of landfalls and how to prepare mm-hmm. for the upcoming season. Uh, well, I would say also um, from yesterday, uh, what a difference a year makes on Halloween, and you could yeah. uh, mean so many different things. Obviously, COVID is is one of them, but last year, a year ago, it snowed on Halloween, and yesterday yeah. yesterday oh. was just delightful. What a beautiful day. Yeah. Yeah, 60 degrees, even though we had, you know, widespread frost in the morning. And some places in your interior suburbs of Cook County uh, definitely had a hard freeze. That'll happen tonight. So if mm. you have any plants outside that did make it through the last couple of freezes, they won't tonight. So this will be the night where if you don't bring in any potted plants, even in the most urban areas of Cook County, uh, everything is going to die tonight. This is going to be one of those one of those nights where you kind of go to bed thinking, okay, maybe I'll be okay, and then you walk outside, and all the plants have that gray, kind of purpley look, and they're all shriveled up. So hard freeze tonight, and even though we got this cold front come through, with a few snow flurries, um, the pattern really goes right back, almost like a boomerang, to southwest mm-hmm. flow. And temperatures last week, which were below zero uh, in parts of the northern Rockies and the northern plains, they're going to be close to the mid-70s by the time we wow. get to Monday and Tuesday with strong downslope winds. And part of that is due to the fact that the snow that we got wasn't much. It was, you know, four to eight inches on the plains. That stuff's going to melt pretty quickly. So the ground is still able to warm up, you know, rapidly during the daytime. But that means easily temperatures in the 60s around here by Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, maybe a little punch of cooler air in here by Friday. But 
easily Saturday and Sunday of next week. And remember, I talked about this two weeks ago, that we were going to go into another shift, um, and it's definitely coming true. So as cold as it is today and as nice as it was yesterday, we go right back to mild uh, and dry. So if you remember, we talked about how October, the beginning of the month, is a normal high of 69. At the end of the month, it's 55. At the beginning of November, a normal high is 55. At the end of the month, it's 39. So, again, you lose those 30 degrees over the course of 60 days, you're going to get some changes, and that's definitely what's, um, what's basically coming our way. But what's interesting to note, the last thing here is we are bone dry, and I mean bone dry, between now and the end of next week, not a drop mm. of rain in our forecast over the next seven days. Yeah, we yeah I, I, I was going to pull the hoses in, and I said, no, i got to leave those out. More watering. Yeah, more watering. Um, it's something to, to keep in mind, although we, you know, the other week, uh, as we mentioned last week, we had a surprise rainstorm, which was good. It, it recharged yeah. uh, the, the soil a little bit. But if we, we start doing this again now, you've got to start paying attention again, especially if we have warm temperatures. Um, uh, and yeah, it, it, it is amazing. Like, that, that rain that we got, everything got green really fast. But um, I think it's I think it's safe to say that our fall foliage season has come to an end. It was probably one of the more uh, brilliant fall foliage seasons, I think, ever. But you take a quick trip, you know, down to central Illinois um, over the next two or three days, you'll still get good colors in. But once you get to northern mm-hmm. Cook County, basically all the yellows and reds are gone. Uh, but the grass greened up pretty nicely. And um, as you mentioned, a little water will go a long way this time of year because the ground is is not yet frozen, so that's good news there. Uh, yeah. So do we go back into uh, any uh, extended cold period in the next few weeks? You know what? I, I don't think so. Um, I, I think we basically stay in this, you know, mild pattern uh, between now and the middle of November, um, which is good news because if you remember last year, um, after that snow in those last two days of October, we got really really cold. In fact, I think it was on the 10th, I want to say the 8th, 9th, or 10th of October, um, we had a high of 17 and a low of 7. And and mm. that just took us into just some wow. brutally cold weather. Those first three weeks of November were awful. Uh, we warmed up a little bit towards the end of the month, and then December, we were 6 degrees above normal. So we had all of our super cold weather the first three weeks of November, and then the last week warmed up and in December, we were six degrees above normal. So the climate stats are like this for the month of October, exactly 1.0 degrees below, uh, below normal, 3.65 inches of rain. That's actually a half inch above normal. But literally 50% of the month's rain uh, came at about a 12-hour period of time, which was that Wednesday night into Thursday with those thunderstorms. But that's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll take that as long as we get that surplus going again. We're still about a foot below where we were last year, um, and that's good news because that'll help uh, that'll help get the Lake Michigan water level down. So a day like today, where you have really cold air coming across the northern parts of the Great Lakes, particularly Lake Superior and Lake Michigan, you're going to evaporate a lot of water off the lake. In fact, they're looking at four to eight inches of snow across the UP um, and about mm. two to four inches of snow across the lower peninsula of Michigan. And you could do that because the lake water temperature is 50 degrees up in Michigan. 
um, 55 here and 48 up in Lake Superior. When you're bringing air temperatures of 20 degrees, you know, literally colder than the lake water temperature, you're going to convect that lake really, really fast. So yeah. even though the lake is down a little bit, getting this early outbreak of cold weather will evaporate some of that water off the lake and get that lake water down because, again, most likely what we'll again see this, this winter is the lack of, sea, of, of lake ice or sea ice, and we all know that's what really helps uh, protect the shoreline. So hopefully the people who are running for uh, the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District in their, in their little, you know, you know, website, you know, blogs when they're talking about how water is important, they're also talking about the importance of the Great Lakes. And I made sure I voted for the right people there, Mike and Vic. <laughs> okay. If, uh, if, if, they're, if they're listening. Yeah, okay, okay. there'll be something extra in your paycheck at the end of the week. Uh, uh, so, uh, well, that's it. Thanks, Rick. Uh, do you want to give, uh, you've already sort of uh, given the uh, forecast in long form. Give us a, a short recap of that. Yeah, well, let's just talk real briefly for 60 seconds. We had Typhoon Ghani, G-O-N-I. Oh. Okay. Uh, that was, yeah, that was a super, that was a super typhoon. It was Category 5. It weakened to a high-end 3 just before May landfall. Uh, in the Philippines, it went north of Manila, as most of those storms do, but it basically hit the east side of Luzon. And again, that area just always, always, always gets hit with the super typhoons. And again, that part of the world, the Western Pacific, has been very, very quiet. But as soon as you get one or two of those typhoons begin to get going, it seems to open up like a corridor, and, and they can get typhoons all the way into like early December. So that storm made it on landfall. I think the last I heard was maybe 10 to 15 fatalities, which is always 10 to 15 too much, but nowhere near what we've had with some of those typhoons in the past. Uh, but other than that, 38, 39, maybe 40 degrees today. Uh, clouds mixed with sun. Overnight low of 25 in the city, mm. 22 in the suburbs. So this is going to be a hard freeze. Starting out cold tomorrow. 40, yeah, Burr's right, 45 to 50 during the day on Monday, 55 to 60 on Tuesday. And even though we've had 90 million people vote as of yesterday, basically everywhere from coast to coast uh, and border to border is going to have great weather for voting on Sunday or on Tuesday. Uh, but again, mid-60s here Wednesday, mid to upper 60s Thursday, and staying in the mid to upper 60s for Friday. And now we're getting into the period of the year where mid-60s is 10 to 15 degrees above normal. So really, really good weather. It's nice to have a warm November. We have not had warm Novembers in quite some time. I think we really got screwed the last few years, and hopefully this year. Um, hopefully this year things will turn out well for us, both weather-wise and also politics-wise, right? Uh, sure hope so. Rick, uh, thank you so much. Always great talking to you. Have a great week. Enjoy the warm weather yourself. I'm going to try to do it, too. And, and hope my down my down spirits here um, kind of gets people out to the polls a little bit, right? I sure hope they do. It does, and there's going to be good weather. No excuse for getting out and voting. Uh, wear your mask, everybody. Wear your mask. Um, we'll talk to you next week, Rick. Take care, Mike. Bye, Vic. Bye. Bye. Um, and uh, I hope people do get out there, get out there and vote. All right. Let's thank everybody who was on the show today. Uh, 
Chris Bates, who did uh, a little extra time with us, and we really appreciate that. And Tony Abruscato from the Get Growing Foundation. Mac Austin, uh, talking about voting, as we just were, and uh, an Illinois master naturalist, and of course, meteorologist Rick DeMaio. So, wow. And Kayla. Oh, of course, Kayla, out there uh, helping us out. Every step of the way. And Kathleen upstairs. And Gata, who just wandered by, but uh, whatever. And, and Basil, who's barking in the background. Right. Until next time, go green or... Go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. <laughs>